All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's so good to be here with all of you in the house. And I want to say hello to everybody out there who's watching online, wherever you're joining us from. Thanks for being with us and making us a part of your day, making God a part of your morning. Uh, If we haven't met, my name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, And before we get to the message, I do want to give us a heads up. All right, everybody, listen up. I want to give you a heads up. Uh, For any parent in here and your child is with you in this room and they are under the age of 13, Uh, I do want to say we're going through God's story in a year and we are at a place here in God's story with David and Bathsheba and we're going to be talking about adult themes. We're going to be talking about adult stuff and so I do want to give you that heads up. I'm not going to get graphic or anything like that uh, but you may not be ready to talk to them yet about some of the things that we're gonna uh, bring up. And and here's the thing, I do not wanna force that conversation with you and it will be forced if they stay in here. Uh, They're gonna ask, they're just curious people. So I do just want to give you an opportunity right now, if if they are under 13, it might not be a bad idea just right now, and it's okay to just, let's just, you can just stand up and take a bathroom break right now. And and I'm serious and get them in Ridge Kids. Don't leave, but get them in Ridge Kids where they should be in a sense and, and let them be there and then come back in here, okay? I'm, I'm really serious about this. We're gonna talk about a few little things that I, I don't wanna get blamed for something, all right, everybody? Uh, so it's okay to just go ahead and get them up there and get them out and, and then uh, I just learned my lesson, all right? Uh, and, and I do wanna tell you this, like we work really hard to make great environments for your kids where they can learn about Jesus in an age-appropriate way. Listen, everybody, I hope you know, we're adults. We, we gotta talk about adult stuff every now and then. And so that's what we're gonna do today. And, and really I'm, I'm more talking to people who are here and you're visiting or new. I know that it does take some time to say, okay, we're gonna trust you and put you in there. And so I, we're totally fine with you bringing your kids in here. I just wanted to give you a heads up. And if you do have kids in here and, and they're 13 and over, uh, they should be fine. In fact, I will tell you this, they know way more about this stuff than you think they do. And And I wanna tell you something right now, I'm serious about this. You need to communicate with them. You need to give God's answers with the questions they have about love, sex, dating, and all these things because they are finding out from somebody or somewhere else if you're not communicating with them. And we gotta give them God's answers to this. They need to know that God does have a response to these things. And, And how I know they're finding this out from other places is because I'm talking to our student ministry guys. Like they, they, they are with your kids, they're hanging out. They have great things going on for your students and uh, they know, man, and, and I wanna tell you, they are hitting this stuff head on with, with your kids. In fact, once a year, our student ministry does a, a series on love, sex, and dating. And so I wanna encourage you as parents, get the communication going, talk to our student ministry team. I just wanna give them a plug and tell them they're doing great things there to talk about this stuff so we can hit it head on with God's truth. All right. Now that I gave everybody enough time to do what they needed to do, uh, now everybody's a little perked up too, okay? It's not even gonna be that bad. It's not gonna be that bad. Uh, but I just thought I would, get, listen, I, again, I've learned my lesson when I, when I say adult stuff and I didn't give you a heads up or a warning on that, all right? So for those of you remaining, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them up to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel 11. As you're uh, opening there, uh, maybe you might not know this, but... Uh, Cordy and I, we've been married actually this next month in May. We've been married 15 years, all right? And I know that makes me sound young and we'll just keep it at that. You don't have to know how old I was when I got married, okay? So we've been married 15 years and we've got two kids, nine and seven, all right? And as we've gone through parenthood, there have been some things that we've loved doing. And you know, one of the things that, that we did consistently with both of them is what we do on our bedtime routine with them where we would get them both ready, go upstairs, do all the stuff. And then uh, that we would read them a story. We would pray over them, tuck them in 
and it was great. And I say we did that because one day your kid will completely break your heart and say they're too old to do that, okay? And that happened to us not too long ago with our oldest and it was heartbreaking. And now listen, I was ready for it. I will tell you somebody else wasn't as ready for it as, as I was ready. Now here's the thing though, my son kind of knew that. I, I wanna give him a lot of credit because he waited, the night he did it, he waited till my wife was up with our youngest. And so then he, it was just me and him. And he goes, hey dad, um, I need to talk to you. And I went, okay and he said well and he took a big breath and he goes I'm getting older and I went yeah and he said and I, I just think that that I could put myself to bed and I went sure because that could have gone in a million different directions with what he said right and it was great I, I, I gave him a high five it was awesome and I celebrated with him and he goes okay so now uh, how do I tell mom and I said you're on your own son and <laughs> No, I didn't do that. I did. I said, hey, he did ask that. And I said, she's going to take this a little differently. You just, we need to be a little bit more uh, just thinking about that. And, and he did great. She did great. She did really good. Uh, but I will tell you this. It was one of those turning points in our family that we'll never forget. We all have those, right? We all have turning points that we remember. And, and there are things that come, there are circumstances that come our way, choices that we make that actually become major turning points in our lives, ones that define us or change us, uh, ones that we can't help, and there are ones that we can have to take responsibility for that were totally our decision and fault. And here's the thing, gang, right now as I bring that up, there are a lot of us going through some of those in our lives, some of the turning points that have happened in your mind as a, as a child or as a young adult or maybe in your career or maybe as a mom or dad. That's, that's what turning points do. We all have them. And hopefully we have more good ones than bad ones. But here's the truth. We all have a mix of them. We all have a mix of turning points. So today, here's what we're going to look at. Today, we are going to look at a turning point in the life of David. So last week, if you were here, we left off uh, being introduced to King David. All right, but he was not a king yet. Uh, he was introduced to us as just a boy. He was just a boy. He was the youngest in his family. He was overlooked by his father. In fact, uh, he was just kind of left to watch the sheep. And so he wasn't even really around doing all the other activities that everybody was doing. And David was so insignificant at this time, he was 14 or 15 years old, uh, that when the prophet Samuel was told by God, hey, go to this family, uh, I've, I've found the king, the next leader of Israel, go find him. Then when he came, uh, David's dad forgot that David even existed. Samuel had to kind of coax it out of him that he had one more son. And he says, oh yeah, I remember, yeah, David, we got him. So, and as soon as he came in, Samuel laid eyes on him and God said, that's the one. He's gonna be the one that's gonna be king of my people. And so he gets anointed by Samuel and then Samuel just goes, well, see you later. And he leaves, all right? And so it doesn't take, it takes 15 years uh, before this happens, before he actually becomes king. Uh, and so what happens is, as a result of that, he goes back to watching the sheep, he grows up, uh, he finds himself eventually in the court of Saul, who is king at that time. Uh, and what happens, he becomes a great poet, a great musician. He even becomes a, a great warrior. He wins big battles for Saul and for Israel. Uh, and then he eventually marries Saul's daughter and he becomes best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And David is getting more and more popular uh, with the people to a point where Saul starts to get a little jealous of David and the popularity he's getting. And eventually Saul uh, get his lets his jealousy get the best of him and he just eventually wants to kill David. So then there's a lot of chapters of him chasing David and finding David and David having a chance to kill Saul, but then he doesn't kill Saul and it goes back and forth until eventually uh, Saul one day dies on the battlefield. 
And then that ushers David in to becoming king. And the other, the thing that God set up 15 years before is now coming to fruition. And as you read this in, in the end of 1 Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel as well, uh, you will see that David is a great king. He's a great king. He is making a lot of the things that Saul did wrong. He's righting those wrongs. He's giving God all the credit to the things and God is giving David all these victories and the kingdom is growing. He's uniting everybody. Stability is here. Like all things are pointing up to David at this point uh, in the kingdom and God's people. And so let's pick this up. We're gonna be in 2 Samuel 11 and let's read here in verse one. It says this. It says, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So that's uh, where we're starting with this. So it says that, the, that everybody was out on battle and kings are usually out there and the battle's going on. But what it's saying is that King David stayed behind. Now, I wanna tell you something. We do not know why he stayed behind. We, we don't know why. And, and a lot of, I'm saying that because a lot of times what folks do here is they'll, they'll point to David and say, well, he was lazy or he was bored or he was conceited and that's why he stayed back and that's how he got in trouble with Bathsheba here in a few verses. But we do not, it does not tell us why he stayed behind. He could have gotten hurt in a previous battle. He could have been just mending wounds. It doesn't, we don't know is the point. It could be for a lot of reasons. And, and I say that because I think a lot of people attach these things to David, like being lazy or bored and arrogant because they're easy to point to uh, and say, well, this is why David sinned. This is why he did what he did. But gang, here's what I'm gonna tell you. If we do that, right? If we do that, point to one or two, three things, uh, then we will miss the entire point of the power and temptation of sin. Because it's not just a few things. It's not just a few things that cause it. And, and what we could also do is we can remove ourselves from, the, from that because it's like, well, if I'm not very bored, so then I'm, I must be fine. But I wanna tell you something uh, right now, okay? Busyness is just as susceptible to sin as boredom is. Okay, so we, I, I don't wanna put in here what's not in there. We don't know why David stayed back and then use those reasons uh, as, as why he did what he did. What this is explaining is that there's a battle going on, the siege of Rabbah, and, and it's explaining why Bathsheba's husband is not there. Okay, so let's, let's read on. Verse two, it says, late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of his bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So again, he's there, wakes up and he happens on this woman and he asks about her, right? He says, hey, who is that? Find out some stuff. And, and here's what's brought to David about her. And I just want us to see this, that the person addressing David says, hey, uh, this is so-and-so's daughter. Hey, David, this is so-and-so's wife. And so as someone who is following God and wants to please God, that should hit the pause button for you. Hey, I, I, I can't do any of that. Uh, it doesn't do that for David though. Next verse, verse four, it says, then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. And there it is. As fast as we read it is as fast as that stuff can happen, everybody. This is just in a moment. He doesn't hit pause. He doesn't stop to think because then if you do that, then the excitement will go away. So just go for it, man. Just do it, all right? And this right here, what we just read is the progression of sexual sin. That is how easy and how fast it happens. And what it does, well, I, want you, I want us to catch this, it objectifies the thing. It objectifies the act because here's, here's what happens. It's not about who you are. 
It's not about who I am and what's on the line. It's about what I want and, and the pleasure that's gonna come as a result. And, and what you forget in the middle of these things is you forget that that's a person with a life and that I'm a person with a life and people around me and responsibilities that I have and, and then it happens. It just happens. And, and this right here, gang, is why the pornography industry is, is the most popular thing going on right now and it's so dangerous and it's the highest selling business in the world. This is from a Barna, listen to this. This is from a Barna study in 2020, all right? Listen to this. Over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. That's staggering. 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. 68% of church going men and 30% of church going women actively view porn. That, that's, that's unbelievable to me. But here's what people do. Well, what's the problem? I mean, it's adults being adults. Like, what's the big, what's the big deal? And he, here's what I wanna say. Here is the issue. The issue is this, is that the more you see it, right? And the more you encounter it, then what happens is the more you normalize it and it is not normal. It is not normal, it's fantasy. And here's what you do as a result. I, I don't care who you are, what you do, this is what happens. You unwittingly will put that expectation and you will put that pressure on what intimacy should be. And it's not real, okay? And worse is, here's what worse thing happens. It objectifies every single thing that God made sex and intimacy to be. It objectifies it all. And then it, re it reduces people, someone's daughter, someone's son, some, I mean, it reduces people. They're not people, they're just things that you watch. And, and here's the other reason why it's a problem. Here's the other reason. Just so you know, this is from the study. This is what the survey found, that pornography use increases marital infidelity rate by 300%. Oh, let me read that again. Pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300% and 56% of divorces, all right? 56% of divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornography. So of all the divorces in the world, over half of them are because somebody is like watching pornography. And... <laughs> I, uh, I, know, I know I'm a pastor and, and I know, of course, this is what I would say, but can I, can I just tell you what I've encountered in the years that I've been a pastor? I, I wish I could just tell you more than what I'm about to tell you, but I've, I've sat and I've talked to guys who have spiraled out of control with addiction to pornography and I've seen what it's done to their family. I've, I've sat across the room from them and talked to them and if they had a minute to just talk to anybody who's about to take that step, they would say, stay far away from it. It ruins so many things in my life. And, and because they know, man, once you start, get, the hooks get in you and what promises to deliver never satisfies you. It never ever satisfies you. And then isolation becomes, or the, the, the result comes isolation and shame. I will tell you this, I'll tell you this, and then we'll move on. I have never ever encountered someone who has a healthy pornography use and, and has everything okay with their family. Never, I've never encountered anybody that has that, it doesn't affect people around them, never. So David, he objectifies it. It's not a person, I'm not a person, let's just get it done, right? Justifies and he gives in. And in this one decision, changed the entire course of his life. And we're gonna find that out here in a little bit. It changes everything. But gang, listen to me, I want, I want you to see, it wasn't just one decision. It wasn't just one decision. There are actually a succession of decisions that he makes that puts him in this situation. So let's look through it. He sees it, right? Which again, a lot of times we can't help what we see, right, everybody? Like we just see something sometimes, right? Uh, so he sees it, then he pursues it, then he embraces it and then he tries to cover it up. Uh, and so here's the point. Here's what I wanna tell you. Most sin, if you wanna write this down, most sin is, is sequential. Like you don't just kind of happen into sin. You're not like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Like most of the time, it's a progression of steps that you take 
and it doesn't come out of nowhere. So for David, it happens. And gang, listen to me, this whole thing's awful. It is awful. Like, I, I, don't th- I think we blow past the, this idea of like, was it consensual or not? I don't know, it doesn't tell us, but I don't think she had much choice if it was the king. Uh, and then it gets worse because then she gets pregnant. And what happens is David tries to cover it up. What he does is he sends for her husband who comes back from battle and he tries to get them together so that can explain you know, the pregnancy, but it, they, he doesn't sleep with her. He doesn't do it because he, he feels so bad about being away. So that doesn't work. And then what he eventually does is he finds out a way to put him back into war where he will pretty surely be killed and he gets killed. It's heinous, it's heinous. And then he brings Bathsheba into his house and he marries her, right? He's like, okay, I made everything right. All right, all is good, but it's not all good because here's the problem. Somebody knew the secret. Somebody knew, and it was his buddy, the prophet of God named Nathan. Now, these, these two were really close. They, they were close. You can read before this whole thing that they had a lot of things going on. They trusted each other. They were in a good relationship. And so Nathan sees everything that happened. He knows everything's going on. So we're gonna jump to chapter 12 if you're in your Bibles with me. And we're gonna read this in verse one. It says this. It says, so the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. He said, David, listen, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a, great many, owned a great many sheep and cattle, and the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb. He, he grew up with his children and ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and he killed it and prepared it for his guest. And David, it says, was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lands to the poor man for the one he stole and for having pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are that man. You're him. And so Nathan confronts David, right? He knows what's going on. God directed him to do it. And gang, listen, for us, this is why we do it too. This is why we do. We don't do it because it's easy. We don't confront somebody in the middle of what they're doing because it's just the right thing to do. We do it because we understand the deeper meaning of what following God looks like and what it should be and the fact that we need each other's help in this, okay? So, so here, I wanna, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If you're a follower of Christ in here, has God sent you someone? Is there someone in your heart? Is there someone close to you who's making a mess of things or, or not making the God decision when you know that they should and they're on your heart and that burden just won't go away? I'm here to tell you, maybe you're a Nathan. Maybe you're that Nathan for that somebody. And I will tell you this, we need Nathans. Amen, anybody? We need Nathans. I need them. You need them. We need them. And I think here's what happens though. This is a really big thing here. I think a lot of us exclude ourselves from doing that. I think a lot of us kind of remove ourselves for a lot of reasons, but I mean, one is like, well, I don't have it all together. Like, I'm not sure that I'm that kind of person to do that because I know what's going on in my life. And, and so I don't really want to confront them when I have that. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's like, well, I don't want them to feel judged. And we, we get that one, right? Everybody, like, no one likes the feeling of being judged. Like, no one, I don't, the, to think about somebody thinking about me like that and looking down on me like that, that is not a good feeling. And so I don't wanna be, I don't wanna put myself in, in that situation. So it's hard to confront somebody uh, when, when they're going through or taking a path of sin and, and things that you know are wrecking their lives. It's not easy. So here's the question, why do it? Why do it? Here's why, here's why. 
The Bible says over and over as you read and study it that the Christian life is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. It's not individual. So you are not bought with a price and raised from, from sin and death to life to then be living out your life in isolation. A, because it will not work. It will not work to live your life with Christ in isolation. And B, you will never grow. You will never grow. You will, right where you start, will stop there and, and live in isolation, you will never grow uh, when you don't have anybody like in your life saying uh, anything about what you're doing or not doing or following or not following. Uh, and so we all need to be advocates of the truth to each other and help each other with the truth, okay? So how do we confront? How do we confront? Okay, just really quick. So first of all, just like what we saw, there should be a confirmation, pretty clear confirmation from God, okay? And I wanna say that because not everybody is that somebody for someone. Not everybody is a Nathan. By, by the way, I'm a pastor and I will confront people, but I'm not, I'm not the Nathan for everybody in this entire room, okay? I hope you know that. A, I don't have the time for it. And B, I don't have the relationship for it. So I'll do my best, okay? But uh, you gotta have confirmation. So some of you, you just don't have it and that's okay. But uh, the next one is this. Here's the next one you also should be wrestling with it a little bit. Like you should be kind of wrestling with confronting somebody uh, in what they're doing in an area of life that they need to correct. In fact, like, here's the thing. Like if you're pumped up about it, like if you're like, you know, fist bumping to music, getting, I can't wait to confront them, something's missing in your life, okay? Like that's not okay. Like I, I don't want somebody coming at me like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, okay, let's go, let's roll. Like I don't, just there's something to miss. Okay, um, Christian confirmation or Christian confrontation of sin is it's never to condemn, it's never to reject, it's always to restore, it's always to heal. And so there's gotta be wrestling with it. Uh, the other one is, if those two things are going on, you need to address them in person. Let me say that one again. You need to address them in person, everybody. All right, like not a Facebook message with church emojis, see you Sunday, like no. Find a time, find a place and meet them. Don't text bomb them, okay? And we do it in love. We do it in love. Look, look at what uh, Galatians says here about how we do it. It says this in Galatians 6. It says, all right, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And so we approach with these things in mind. We, we confront others with compassion. And so the jig is up for David. David knows that Nathan knows. And, and so we drop down to verse 13. And here's what David ends up saying. David says, he confessed to Nathan. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for that sin. Look at the, notice the consequence for that, what David thought he was going, he was ready to accept it, by the way. And he said, no, you're not gonna die for this sin. And so we'd see David come clean. He, he fesses up, he confesses it to Nathan, he grieves it, he confesses to God. And so if you wanna actually read his entire confession, it's not here in 2 Samuel 11. If you wanna write this down, it's actually in Psalm 51. And, and it is a, a long psalm of confession and understanding what he did with people, what he did to God. And so I encourage you to read Psalm 51 in light of what we just uh, studied there. But uh, here's what I wanna do with the rest of our time. If you have notes, go ahead and grab those, get those out if you haven't already. I wanna look, we're learning a lot about David in the last couple weeks. And I wanna look at four things that we're gonna learn from the fall of David. And so if you're taking notes, here's the first thing that we need to learn from David is this, is that I have gotta recognize the difference between temptation and sin. There's a difference between temptation and sin. So I wanna tell you this, it is not a sin to be tempted. 
It is not a sin to, it is a sin to give in to that temptation. Everyone gets tempted. Even Jesus, we see, got tempted. The writer of Hebrews said this about Jesus, said that this high priest of ours, Jesus, he understands our weaknesses because he faced all the same testings we do. In other translations, it says the temptations that we go through, yet he did not sin. So even Jesus faced temptations, but he never gave into it to, for it to turn into a sin. So, you know, looking at the story of David and Bathsheba, attraction uh, is not a sin. God gave us attraction. It's a normal thing to experience attraction with each other. But with each other. But here's the thing: when you take that attraction and go to a sinful place, or or even in your mind, when you take that attraction and, and kind of go different places within your mind, that's lust. And what that is is a sinful reaction to a normal thing. And you are responsible for that. You're responsible for that. Here, here's what maturity is. Okay, Christian maturity isn't a lack of temptation. That's not when you know you're mature. Uh, what maturity does is it doesn't act on what that attraction is. It acts on the commitment I make to God. You get, you get what I'm saying? Maturity uh, is, is when I don't act on what the attraction is, but I act on my commitment to God. That's what maturity does. Um, but, but here's the thing. So just because, just because attraction isn't a sin, don't confuse attraction with always being okay either. There are a lot of attractions that we encounter on this broken world that are not okay, right? They, they come our, our way all the time. Like for instance, for instance, I get angry at people sometimes. I know, I'm really sorry. I really do, I get angry. Now, the Bible says in your anger, do not sin. So I don't think anger in and of itself is sinful, but, but here's the thing. I'm attracted to sometimes want to lose my mind on somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like I wanna, but I, because I'm attracted to do it does not mean that I have license to do it. Like I can't just do it because I'm attracted to do it and uh, what I'm naturally feeling like doing. You don't always get to do what you feel like doing if you are a child of God, bought by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's why everybody, because we as Christians, come on, we live by a different set of values, a different set of principles given to us by God and his word. Amen, everybody? And so we go against that every time something like that comes in. Sometimes attractions are there, but it doesn't mean it supersedes what we know is true of God and his design. Sometimes women are attracted to other women. Sometimes men are attracted to other men. As Christians, what do we do with that? It's there. There are people who have, who have come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ and they're attracted to the same sex and, and, and that doesn't always go away. It doesn't go away. And they're like, how come it didn't go away? I, I don't, and they know what the truth of God says. And so, so what do we do with that? How, how do we deal with that? Gang, I'm here to tell you, I, when people ask, why doesn't I go away? I don't know. But I'll tell you this about my life. It might, it's not that one, but there are other attractions that come my way that are not of God and they still come my way. And I don't know the answer to that either. It's the same thing. But what I wanna tell you is this, as Christians, here's what we do. We gotta, we gotta make a choice, everybody. We gotta make a choice with all the feelings and attractions that we have to say, who am I gonna follow? I'm gonna follow God and what he says or I'm gonna follow how I feel and, and what I think is right. But we as followers in Christ, I will tell you this, we, we go off of a different set of values, we go off of a different set of principles and we say, I am dealing with feelings and attractions and all kinds of other things, by the way, that are in direct opposition to what I know is in God's design. And so, so I'm going to let God dictate the reaction that I make and, and the response that I have. So because, it's, again, everybody listen, it's not what the attraction is. It's what we do with it that makes it a sin. And so when temptation comes, everybody listen, here's what the follower of Jesus will do. The follower of Jesus will come and say, I'm going to remain within the principles and the values and the promises of God to achieve the legitimate need that God can give to me. And I'm not gonna make a shortcut. I'm not gonna do what I feel. I'm not gonna compromise God's way of doing things, okay? And this is a huge one. It's huge because temptation will never go away. 
I hope you know that. It it won't go away. Finances, intimacy needs, companionship, progress in life, and our sin nature, everybody, I hope you know, and it's killed when we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, but we're still in a world uh, where it's around us, but but it it will always gravitate towards self-indulgence, self-pleasure, and we can't let that, we can't give in to that because if we are in Christ, listen to me, if we are in Christ, then the price by which he paid for us with his blood and his death will cause, and it should cause a gratefulness in us, right? A gratefulness and, and knowing how desperately we needed rescue from him that we stay true to God regardless of circumstances or attractions or feelings. Everybody getting what I'm saying over there? Okay, so, so we gotta understand the difference here. Here's the second one that I gotta do. I gotta realize the consequences. I gotta realize the consequences. So we didn't go through this, but you can read it on your own uh, after Nathan confronts him, uh, is that, man, for the, here's what, here's the result of what David did. He came and he confessed to God and God forgave him. But as a result of what he did, there was never peace in his house for the rest of his life. That's what happened. There was never peace in his house for the rest of his life. For the rest of his life, I will read what happened. There was turmoil. David's sons warred against each other. They killed each other, rebelled against David. There was deceit, violence, incest. Uh, He has one son put to death. It was devastating. This was the exchange. This is what, in that one moment of pleasure, this was the exchange and the cost of it. Here's the point. Listen to me. There is always a price attached to sin. There's always a cost attached to sin. We just need to see that every time you give in, every time you give in a temptation that turns into sin, there is a price, there is a consequence. And every time, every time you do that, something dies. Because that's what sin does. It hurts things. It kills things. Think about it. Over time, if you just let that go unchecked, it will kill your conscience. And then stuff that used to bother you will not bother you anymore. Why? Because you're letting sin just, just take over. Sin will kill your body. It will, it will take over time. It will kill your mind. It will kill your relationships. It will kill your self-control. Some of you right now, right now in this moment, you would say you're following Jesus and you're involved in a relationship or, or a lifestyle or behavior and you're living in a way that is just not God's way and you know it. And I'm just telling you, you are making yourself vulnerable to the consequences of, of living that out. That's all I'm saying. All right, we could, we could sit here and talk about salvation and all that. I'm just telling you, you're making yourself vulnerable to the consequence. And the worst consequence of all is when you do that and it's unchecked, unconfessed, it will put distance between you and your heavenly father and what he wants to give you, what he wants to bless you with uh, in your access to him. So we gotta realize the consequences. Here's the third thing is, but I gotta remember God's promise. I need to remember God's promise. So with David, uh, here, here's what I wanna say. Even in a screw up, God stayed true. God say true, God's promise wasn't held together by the character of David, thank God, right? I mean, but it was held together by his own character, by God's own character. And this is huge for us to know because it goes the same with us. That with us, uh, our, our relationship with God is not held together by us, but it's held together by Jesus and what he's done for us. And so if you come, so that there, as a result, you, is you come to God in faith and you place your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus as payment for your sin, here's what you need to know. Every time, God will forgive you. Not did, will. He will forgive you, meaning that there is a continual process of forgiveness that will happen as a believer in Christ, okay? That's called sanctification, that we grow closer to him and that we're gonna encounter these things that take us back a notch from God and then we come to him and confess him and he will forgive us every time we come to him and there's grace and mercy and forgiveness are available if you come to him. And I'm gonna tell you, you cannot reverse that promise, everybody. You can't. 
Because listen, and I, I say this over and over and it still won't be heard enough. This relationship isn't based on what you do, but what God has done for you. Amen, everybody? That's what the relationship is based on. God's promise with us in Jesus isn't based on the consistency of humans. Thank God. It's based on the consistency of Jesus and him. And, and, and just the same as David, it's grounded on the consistency of God. So all your sin, listen to me, all your inconsistency, all your backsliding, all of it, all of it is actually going to be able to become forgiven if you just come to him. That's all that we do in this relationship that we have. That's what he does, okay? You, can, you, you cannot get to God and you can't get rid of his promise to you. You can't do it. It's just, okay, and that's what grace is. That's what grace is. And here's the thing. The second you think you, des- it's undeserved because the second you think you deserve then you don't get what grace is. And there's it's a great irony, by the way, in the relationship that we have with him with grace because I think a lot of people get mad. You get mad at people like, oh man, they're just abusing that grace and all that stuff. But the second you do that, then you're out of God's grace as well. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the irony. It's how amazing it is. It's all undeserved, all unmerited uh, because the faith in Christ, that's what it does. It always is undeserved, yet Christ died for you and extends mercy, grace, forgiveness to you if you come clean to God, which goes to our fourth one. Huge. Confess your sin. Confess your sin. Okay? You won't be free until you confess. You can't be free until you confess your sin. So here's what I want to tell you right now in this room, and even in my own life, that I want to find, I want to just do this in a continual process. If you're holding on to a sin, like if you're holding on to it and you know it's there, like you know it's against what God says and you're not giving it to God, it will hold you back from receiving God's gifts and you will never be changed. You will not be transformed like the Bible tells you you can be and like God says you will be if you're holding on to unconfessed sin. Here's what holding on as a believer in Christ, this is what holding on to unconfessed sin is like. It's, it's actually crazy if you think about it. it. Holding on to unconfessed sin makes about as much sense as holding on to a live grenade and not throwing it. If you know like who God is and what he can do with that sin and you don't just give it to him because he will take it and he will forgive you, it will blow up on you. That's what it does. But there are so many Christians who do that. Let's say you think you're hiding it from God. He knows and he wants you to just give it to him. Let go of it. Lean in to his love and forgiveness and, and get rid of the sin that's entangling you. Get into God's calling for your life. And so here's what we're gonna do. We have plenty of time left band's gonna come up and they're gonna play a song. And I just, I wanna give us some time to be in the presence of God for a few minutes. And, and I want us to do a few things. As we do that, here's what I wanna ask this. You can sit and just take this in. I just want you to ask this one question this morning. What are you showing me? Just God, what are you, what are you saying to me? And maybe for some of you, it's looking at an area of your life and you know that you're not doing it God's way. Confess it. He'll show you. Maybe you're in a consequence of sin right now. Turn from it. Turn from it. Maybe you're in a turning point. Can I tell you something? That does not have to define you. You don't have to stay stuck in that turning point. It's not the end of it. He will forgive you. He will bring you right back into his grace, mercy, and love. And, and so you confess it. You repent from it. You turn. You say, God, please give me your mercy and forgiveness. And he will give it to you if you confess it. Here's the other one that I want to give you. Maybe you could say, God, is there someone in my life that I need to confront. My Nathan. Maybe you could pray, God, I just, I think I love him too much to let this keep going. And so give me the boldness, give me the love for them that, that I can't just let this go. And, and so maybe you could pray through that. And so again, as we go through the song, just sit, be a little bit. If you wanna stand, that's fine. Write something down, pray. Just this is a time for you to be in his presence and, and ask those questions. And I'll come back out and close this.
Jesus, I surrender all to Him. I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him. stand and let me close us out this morning. Heavenly Father, there's just times where we encounter some challenging things, and I pray that we are challenged by your truth as we encounter the things that, that we're going through, the, the, the things that we have to face uh, in the world we're living in, and, and just the life that we want to live for you, God. I pray we continue this conversation with you, that we have a time of just searching ourselves with you, God. I pray that this continues as a result uh, of your message to us today. We love you. Thank you for Jesus who washes away our sin, cleanses us from all of those things if we come to you. We love you, we need you, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next time.